Hi, everybody. We want to thank our sponsor, Legion M. They are a wonderful company. We love working with them. You can go to their website, Legion M. They're also on all the various socials. They do really fun meetups. Uh, you can talk to directors. You can become a part of the projects they choose. They even have a program right now where you can help them find great movies to support. So go to their website to learn more. We also want to remind you that we have a Patreon that we call Maltreon. You can join us. We have $3, $5, $10, $20 options. You can get newsletters from my dad, uh, all kinds of neat stuff behind the scenes. Hang out with us, learn about who our guests are before anybody else, and listen to the podcast before anybody else. Go to patreon.com slash maltononmovies for more information. That's patreon.com slash maltononmovies. Hi, everybody. I'm Leonard Malton. And I'm Jesse Malton. And you're listening to Malton on Movies. And today our guest is someone we've known a long time. He's what I will lovingly call a unicorn. Uh, and the reason I say that is he's an incredibly nice man in a position of power. And I, I'm not really sure how you do it. I'm really not. Uh, uh, but you care so deeply about film and human beings, and we're very lucky that you do what you do. It's Bob Ghazali, and then the applause. Bob Ghazali. He's the president and CEO of the American Film Institute. AFI. Well, thank you for having me. My goodness, that's an extraordinary introduction. And I would only say that being kind and loving the movies are the same thing, really. Like, it, they are, as we all know, like empathy machines. So the more you watch, I think the kinder you become. Yeah, well, but but you're nice. How does that <laughs> how does that work? <laughs> uh, it, it, yeah, it, it medication. I think. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> well, you I will say you gave me. I think one of the most beautiful gifts I've ever received when my daughter was born. And it's uh, will you tell the will you tell the story behind, please? Well, yeah, when my son was born, now 22 years ago, um, I received a gift from one of my colleagues, Chris Merrill, and it was a, a small version of a director's chair with my son's last name on it. And I was so moved by it that I just thought this should be experienced by everybody because there it's an, uh, it's an image of... Uh, ultimate you know power that as you grow from this little thing into this director where you direct your own life uh it's aspirational in a way yeah so i just wanted to share and i thought daisy more than anybody deserved a director's chair <laughs> but you also you sent the most beautiful letter and it was just, i just cried a lot and it sits in her room and it's just one of those things that we have some things around the house that people sent when I was born. And uh, I, I'm always amazed looking at them because you think what a, what an incredibly thoughtful thing that somebody said, I want to give you this. And it's something you can keep forever. And getting that for her, I do. I just, it's like, what a, what an incredible gift and something that when she starts to understand it will be incredibly cool too. Well, that's great. And it's funny because my son is 22 now and that chair still sits in the corner of his room. Damn straight. Uh, as a symbol of, you know, not only what was, but what can be. Yeah. Uh -huh. Right. 
no, it's it's uh it's it's very precious. It's a very very precious thing. And now we want to try to get to what we're going to call the Bob Gazzale origin story. Yes, it's the today. <laughs> because I know you've been working for the AFI since 1992. I have 31. It's going on 31 years. Yeah. What you know why? Because I have an extraordinary lack of imagination. <laughs> I just I just keep showing up and they haven't told me not to. So um yeah, my origin story. Well, Leonard, you are my origin story, I think. I mean, I grew up loving the movies, and you were a big part of that because even as a I mean, I I love the movies since I was really, really young. But when I was a teenager, you were a guiding light from Entertainment Tonight on down. I still remember you speaking intelligently about movies. And then you would give it a rating between one and 10. Yep. And, and a film reel would roll out. And there was some uh, drama. There was some drama about what the number was going to be like. And so I give this movie a nine. And I was like, nine. Wow. You know. <laughs> uh, and then, of course, I had the Leonard Martin mo movie guide that became yellowed and dog-eared until, until you started publishing it first by week. By it was every other year, right? And then yearly. <laughs> Uh, I have an entire shelf here that the people at home can't see of Leonard Malton movie guides. Um, we like to say you can watch him age. Yeah. <laughs> you look at the spines, you watch him get older. And then you, and then you became a uh, wonderfully inescapable in pop culture in my life when it was like, now Leonard is like, you were on the Sopranos when Carmela yeah. was reading about Citizen Kane. Yep. And, you know, I remember Marge Simpson saying you were the best looking film critic. That's right. And I remember like on South Park. And now I'm, this is a little blurry on me, but was it you and, and Sidney Poitier and, correct. and Robert Smith from The Cure? Correct, correct. They were fighting a giant Barbara Streisand. Like, Mecca you know, Streisand. Mecca Streisand. Mecca <laughs> Streisand, yes. I a love it. I treasure so and now you're part of the very DNA of AFI that not only have you been involved in our programs across the years that help us shine a light on excellence, but now to be welcomed in your family in a way with Alice and Jesse and now Daisy, I feel like you are my origin story. Like I, this is the uh, you are the story of my life. And I appreciate that. Well, that's slightly overwhelming, uh, but lovely to hear. And, and I appreciate all of that. Where did you grow up? I grew up, I grew up everywhere because my father was a pilot in the Marine Corps. Ah. And so I was born in Orange County, but then it went Orange County, if I can remember this, uh, Orange County, North Carolina, uh, California again, and then uh, Hawaii, then California again, then Virginia, then one year on Woodby Island because they wanted to be cruel. I was in ninth grade. They were like, let's move for one year. So I just kept, and part of this is the movie story too, because every three years and sometimes less, we moved. And so not easy to maintain friendships when you're right. growing up to begin with, let alone entering and exiting people's lives. Yeah. And so my friends were on a screen they were taller than I were. What mm -hmm. was? They were more handsome than I was. They were smarter. They were funnier, and I fell in love with those people, and so that that became the world that I lived in. Well, you're you're echoing many other people's stories, of yeah. course, as you know. Is that right? And that is the that is the the incredible power 
uh, that movies hold over us, and and the uh, the comfort, the sukkar, the solace that they can offer us, and and it's why I fell in love with movies. Yeah, and, and uh, some people think it's a passive thing, uh, or, or it speaks to passivity, but I don't think so. I think it's uh, uh, it's a a safe haven, and that's that's not not necessarily a passive Mm-mm. passive thing at all. Mm-mm. When when did you sense that you wanted to do something uh, involved with movies? Well, I was I grew up rather unhatched. You know, I don't. You know, I'll, I'll Venmo you for therapy when this is over. But uh, at at the time when I went to college. I was like, I'll be pre-med. What? Like, oh, okay, fine. Uh, I was at the University of Virginia and uh, I was doing quite well through about the first and, and the first half of the second year in pre-med. And yet there was a night that I still remember in the law school library, Saturday night. And I remember that because the law school library was the only one open on a Saturday night. So if you're getting like the loser vibe, you're picturing me. And I was working hard to try to figure out how am I going to do this? And I just, there was a moment, I wish I had this strength today, frankly. I just closed up the books and I said, I'm not doing this anymore. Mm. I went to my advisor on Monday, that was Saturday. So it was a Monday. And I swear to you, I wish I remember this gentleman's name because I give him full credit. He asked me a simple question. And it's one that I wish we could all answer for ourselves. He said, well, what do you love? Mm. And without much effort, I said, I love movies. And he said, well, then you're an English major Mm. because you appreciate story and you do this and you do that. And so I became an English major. And of course my parents wept because they thought, well, there goes doctor. Right. Um, And here comes unemployed. And at the same time, what I found was this kind of strange addiction to story that in all of its forms, and that's been, this goes back, Leonard, to what you were asking about being at the AFI for so long. It's not the same that, you know, 30 years ago. And now these stories are evolving in the most wonderful ways and sometimes (laughs) terrifying ways. And sometimes melancholy ways because we miss a certain way. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's how the flame was lit. Somebody asked me, what do I love? And I answered without thinking about it. Well, you didn't have to think about it because it was that's how strong it was in your bloodstream or in your DNA, if you prefer. Yeah, uh, it, it's part of you. It's part of you. And uh, what was your first job in film? My first job, well, it's funny because if you don't count busboy, waiter, dishwasher, like dishwasher was good too. Um, I, I got very lucky because I was, as I said, I was at the University of Virginia and there was a, a woman named Patricia Kluge who said in a reception at the president's house, the president of the university, we should really have a film festival at the University of Virginia. Oh, and so he gathered the forces of American film at the time. It was Jack Valenti and David Brown, the great producer. And there were a lot of graduates of the AFI. Sydney Sissy Spacek was there because she lives in Cobham, Virginia. 
And uh, I was invited because I was the token student. They needed a student. And they, mm. they called me on my rotary phone because I, I uh, ran the student theater. I programmed it with uh, a, a friend and we ran the projectionist. We popped the popcorn. We sold the tickets. We did everything. And they so they picked me. So I I'm showed up. I'm going to interrupt here. Sure. What kind of stuff did you show at the theater? It was, well, it, we showed, it was kind of like Friday, Saturday, Sunday, we showed what was considered then first run. It was all 16 millimeter. So you remember the days of Film Inc. and Swank yeah. and- Films those. Incorporated, yeah. Exactly. And so uh, that's, the when they went to 16 millimeter, that was Friday, Saturday. And then the rest of it were classic films and retrospectives and theme weeks and things like that. Uh, and so it was- and writing, Leonard, you're the master at this, Jesse, you know, the idea of writing a blurb about why you need to go see this movie. Right. Became part of my college education. And so they invited me to attend this meeting. I still remember walking up to the president's house, like the knocker. It was kind of like Dorothy going to the Oz, yeah. you know, knocking <laughs> on the door. And it opened. And I was there with an empty yellow pad. And my madras chai was crooked, like I didn't belong. And yet, at the end, they said, great, let's do this. Who's going to do it? And I raised my hand. And so that's where I met Jean Furstenberg, who was then the director of the American Film Institute. She was on the board of the Virginia Film Festival. And I did that for five years. And so it's just luck. I mean, it's passion and all the rest of that, but it's a yeah. lot of luck. And... What happened was I what I realized my job was at the Virginia Film Festival was to build a bridge between what Patricia Kluge imagined that event to be, which was more glamour and Klieg lights and red carpets, and then what the university wished for it to be, which was, you know, they still refer to UVA as Thomas Jefferson's Academical Village. And so you're well, like, then. hey, okay. So what we did uh, together was we built a program that was about classic films. So for example, Jimmy Stewart came out to screen a 50th anniversary screening of Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. Gregory Peck came out to show To Kill a Mockingbird. Sidney Poitier came out to show In the Heat of the Night. Charlton wow. Heston came out with Ben-Hur. So both sides appreciated the art form. And then there was a day where Jeannie Furstenberg said to me, why don't you do what you do here, but come do it on a national scale at the AFI. And it didn't take much. I hopped in my Honda CRX and drove right. across the country <laughs> and, and I was on my way. So I've been here ever since. Jeez. Where, when and where along this road did you meet what, Mimi? I met which, Mimi, which, my Mimi wife. Mimi is Mrs. Ghazali. Yes, I met her uh, in the halls of the American Film Institute. Um, she, I, well, it's, the short version is this. <clears throat> uh, she worked here in Los Angeles. And at the time, in my 30 years here, I worked in New York for AFI. I was there for five years. Uh, and on occasion, I would come out to Los Angeles to do some work. And I remember seeing her for the hallway in the hallway. And I was like, oh. Like, again, it's back to that moment where you're just like, yeah. you don't have to think. You just feel. And so we met here. My whole story is here, right? 
Wow. It's, you know, I, one of my favorite things people always say to my dad is, does Alice like movies? And all I can ever think is, how could you, if your whole life is this thing, and, and this is what you've dedicated yourself to, how could you marry someone who doesn't also love it? Now, they may not have to be as intensely nerdy, but how do you it just it always makes us laugh it was does alice like movies no doesn't like them at all can't stand the things yeah exactly. of course it's you know it's a huge part of your life i'll also say that those blurbs i had the hardest time writing them because the movies my dad would assign to me could all have the exact same description you know exactly what you were gonna get it was, you know, if you came in to step up five and expected something else, then that's on you. Every single blurb could be the exact same thing. And I'd say that to my dad. How do I describe, you know, you came to see Sorority Row. You don't need to hear from me on this one, guys. <laughs> you know, it's either exactly what you thought and it's okay or exactly what you thought and it's terrible. Right. It was the hardest thing to write the blurbs. I struggled. Well, it's part of what I love about this, the, the encouraging people to see certain things that you love, but they may not love. Yeah. And it's a reminder that film is art because like a painting, it the, the painting doesn't change. And so I have this theory that uh, people resist that just like in Boys Town, where they say there's no such thing as a bad boy, there's no such thing as a bad movie because somebody loves it. And so, and it's just, it's a question of, so when people say, well, that's a bad movie. And I say, well, tell me why mm. they're telling me not why the movie's bad. They're telling me about themselves. Right. And that is fascinating to me where it's like, well, I didn't like this and I didn't like this. And I saw the same movie. It's not like the movie is changing. Yeah. And so we're describing ourselves through our reactions. So trying to capture it in a blurb is fascinating, right? Because you're trying <laughs> to speak to an audience you don't even know. But anyway. Yeah. Um, no, it's it's the same. I think that something that we say to people all the time is every movie that's made is a miracle because especially if you've been behind the scenes, <laughs> The number of people it takes, I say this too, when people are watching the credits, you know, now obviously when you go see Harry Potter and you have nine minutes of credits, you understand that there's a lot of people, but even smaller films, look at the credits, look at all of the humans that had to work on this to make it exist. And nobody, and, and nobody ever sets out to make a bad movie. No. And so every single movie is a miracle, whether it's, you, it's good as in you like it or it's bad as in you don't like it. Yeah. Uh, you know, and that's that I think it's been interesting with the films recently that that deal with COVID, some of the films that ha that were made over the pandemic, things like that. And the ones that specifically deal with it as a topic. Um, I saw one in particular and I said to my dad afterwards, it was so well done. I just don't want to hear about the pandemic. It yeah. was really, really well made and well done. But I don't want to sit there and think about it, especially because it came out in 2021. And so it was like we were still in it and we were still in it enough that I didn't want to sit there and watch. Yeah. Um, now, in 10 years, maybe somebody will. I don't think I will, but somebody will. Right. And it didn't make the movie bad. <clears throat> it was just that it wasn't a topic I wanted to sit there for. 
Yeah. And, uh, but you know, it's like, but that's it. I can look at every piece and say, Jesus, they did this, they did this, they did an amazing job with this, this, and this it's. Well, and it's also true that when you go back and, and this is stating the obvious perhaps, but when you go back and see a movie again, Mm. particularly decades later, it may have been a childhood favorite. And then you go back and you're like, Oh, this didn't go well. And again, the movie didn't change, but mm-hmm. you did. Yeah. And that's yeah. so interesting to then talk about, well, I'm different now because of X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Um, I did this with a movie called Around the World in 80 Days. Sure. Which I saw when I was young. And it actually, I'm not going to get into this story, but it actually inspired me to go around the world in 80 days. Seeing this movie when I was about six or seven years old on TV, I was like, I'm going to do that. Then I read the the book. Then I did this. Then I did that. And when we were younger, Mimi and I, before we were married, went around the world in 80 days and, uh, uh, you know, with like six dollars. And it it remained the story of our lives. And so we returned. I watched the film again. I'm, I can't say it's a bad movie because I've just described that other people you can't say up. we can agree that it's not a good movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, it won yeah. the Oscar, won the Oscar, and uh, it's not unique in uh, uh, in Oscar history that it has not aged well. That's a, it's a very good way. <laughs> It's, yeah, it's aged less well than we have, maybe. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. I'd like to think so. I'd like to, <laughs> I, I, I'll just say yes. Yeah, yes. yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's it's a trip, isn't it? Seeing certain things. Some things remain magical and perfect. Yeah. And that's the best feeling. Um, it's also helpful if a movie is dated in its, as in, so my, my favorite movie is Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. Oh, great. And uh, it doesn't age because it didn't age to begin with right you know it started somewhere so it doesn't it's not like how sometimes we watch stuff today and you go oh my god well they would have had cell phones and they would have had this and they would have had that uh you're already in that place i also love lil abner it's one of my other favorites and you know again it doesn't age because it is exactly where it exists and starting to show daisy some musical numbers uh, I showed, showed her the Nicholas Brothers the other night. Oh, good. Uh, now, now, granted, my my daughter is 15 months old, so I don't think that she's taking it all in. But you know, you. Uh, it's called preconditioning. Yeah, yes. yeah. Thank you. Yeah, it's well, it's good. easier. Black and white's not going to scare her. Uh, is key. But now, now, what happened when you started raising a family, and wanting to pass along your love of movies to your to your children what i found the most powerful the most powerful example i have was again my mistake and luck and i because my wife and i had a deal my son must have been eight which meant my daughter was four and in that zone And we had a deal that on Sunday mornings, I'd be the one to get up, she would sleep, and then I would go do something with the kids. And there were days that we'd go down to the beach or we would go to eat some eggs, whatever. And there was one day I was so tired. I just couldn't 
deal with these two energetic, young, hopeful people. And so I grabbed a DVD off the shelf. It's 20 years ago, remember people. And I, and I was too tired to preface it. I just pushed play. And it was Chaplin's The Kid. Hey. And so they sat there without preface, discovering Chaplin for themselves. I didn't show it to them. They found it. That became the thing that was so powerful because my daughter couldn't read. Of course, it's silent film with subtitles. So my son was reading the subtitles to her. Wow. And they were believing that he was, he was like, oh, he did this too. He, and I, they didn't realize that he was inventing these things. Right. They just thought, oh, this is a different. I didn't say this movie is in black and white. I didn't right. say it. I did not say all these people are now dead. Right. I did not say he's a genius and this is why. They just found it themselves and they've now they own it. Their dad didn't say it. So I found that to be my lesson, which is like, I'm going to follow you. And as your kids get older, of course, it's what you learn <clears throat> that at the beginning, it's follow me. I'm going to show you not to put your hand on the stove. Um, but later it's, I will follow you. And mm -hmm. so that's how my parenting in the movie area, be, again, be, came out of sheer fatigue and luck. But it's such a, obviously I've had both experiences where I've gotten so lucky to see stuff on a big screen with an orchestra or just live accompaniment, you know, I, and I, I always say that it's, I, I'm not surprised that people can have trouble getting into something later on if it was never introduced to them. And if they're watching it on their phone, they're watching it on an iPad, you know, I, I don't think that we can judge. Uh, but that's why we're so lucky living in LA. If you live in New York, Chicago, there we're very, very lucky because there are so many places you can go to see these things the way they're meant to be seen. Yeah. But the idea that your son is just reading everything to your daughter, it becomes interactive. It becomes something they're doing together. And it's precious and priceless, isn't it? I mean, yeah. it's it's amazing. And that was the thing for me, definitely, when we'd see uh, uh, different films. Because there's something, I don't know how many times I saw Casablanca over the years. But some, it's got to be like 10 or more years ago. Uh, TCM wanted my dad to do a tweet along with it. And so we sat down in our living room and put it on. And my dad was explaining details to me that I didn't know. Um, because why, why would I know? And he right. was saying, you know, a number of the people in this scene really were, uh, uh refugees. refugees from this. The reason that them singing these two songs is so important is X, Y, Z. Uh, the papers, the papers aren't real, but the idea is this. <laughs> and I had a newfound appreciation for it because so much went into context. And that's the kind of thing where it was fun to discover it in a new way. But I also know that you can just watch it. And if you're not taken by the camera work alone and the lighting and everything else, uh, you know, I, I I worry for you if it doesn't have some effect. But but as I well, say, and that's yeah, and that's what's interesting about the the story about the kid was really I got lucky because they were hooked, right? Yeah, 
Right. And they did it themselves, right? I didn't do that. But now the role of curation is incredibly powerful in their lives. Yeah. And Jesse, everything you just like camera work, the rest, that's part of their language. Yeah. 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 But, but without the addiction, I don't know where we, I also loved tonight. We were home alone, the kids and I, and I was running out of movies to recommend. Right. <laughs> you know, it was like, I don't know what to watch now. And so we, I Googled 50 greatest kids movies. Yeah. And up and, and to, uh, I'm proud to say we had seen 48 of them. Hey. Uh, now the two that were missing, uh, Old Yeller, and I wasn't going to go there yet. Nope. <laughs> nope. Um, and this, the other one was Children of Heaven, which I hadn't seen, the Iranian film. Yeah. And I thought, just pop this in. And now it remains the three of our kind of favorite movie. Like these are those risks that I'm encouraging more people to take. It's why festivals are important to go discover things, right? Yeah. Um, so they're, uh, yeah, they're out. They're they're doing the Johnny Appleseed thing now too, spreading good, spreading good. the joy. Well, one of I think one of your proudest moments is, uh, um, oh, what's it called, Miss Havisham? Uh, Great oh, Expectations. Yeah. yeah. When uh, the, the first year I taught at USC was 1998, one of the films we showed was the new production of Great Expectations, directed by Alfonso Cuarón, uh, with Ethan Hawke and Gwyneth Paltrow and Robert De Niro. And, um, uh, and I saw it, and it was pretty good. And uh, I- Mia, well, Mia Trams, my friend Mia from school, wanted to go see the movie. And I said to my dad, can I go see Great Expectations? And he said, well, just understand it's going to be scary. And, you know, uh, just be aware of that. Cause I'm very, I was very much a sensitive kid. I'm still a very, sensitive adult, very sensitive. but I was a very sensitive kid. And uh, my dad said, but here's all I would ask. Can we watch the original first? And I said, okay. And, and we did. And I forgot my laser disc. Yep. My laser disc. And David Lean. David I, Lean will, yeah. I will politely say effing terrified uh, because there is a lot in that film that is so scary. Just the opening. The opening yeah. is scary. Well, of course it is, yeah. Um, but, you know, I watched it, and then I went with Mia. We went up to Universal City Walk, and we watched uh, We watched the movie. And when it finished, I said, this isn't very good, uh, the new one. I was like, this, this, it has nothing like the, I don't understand why you even call it the same name. They're so different. And I said to Mia, would you watch the old one with me? And we went home, and we did. And yeah. she was blown away as I was blown away. And my dad said, I'm so proud. She likes the original, <laughs> but, uh, you know, that was such a valuable and it's, it's nothing wrong. If you like the, the, the newer one, that's okay. You're allowed, you're allowed to like it. But I just felt like you couldn't compare the two. Yeah. And then, and then some years later, you got to meet Gene Simmons. Yeah. That was amazing. I tell you ride. So yeah. Know, yeah. 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 Closing a circle. And that I'm really sure you've gotten to do that with your kids too, where you get to introduce them to someone that they've watched and it's just. Now, when you yeah. joined AFI, what was your, uh, what was your job description? Well, when I joined the AFI in 1992, uh, as I drove across country in, in my black CRX that I described earlier, uh, that week, the NEA essentially dissolved its current, its then current funding model. 
That's the National Endowment for the Arts. National Endowment for the Arts. And there, at the time, for many years, the American Film Institute was the largest recipient of grants from the NEA. And there are all kinds of documentation that when the AFI was created in 1965, that the NEA would fund the AFI forever. And so that changed in 1992, literally the week that I drove across country. So when I showed up at the AFI, then director Jeannie Furstenberg uh, had a different equation, which was how do we replace the money for the NEA? So mm. my what I believed my job to be, which was doing what I was doing at Virginia about celebrating movies, became much more entrepreneurial. How do we create programs that raise money for a nonprofit, but do so without tarnishing that the image, not only of the AFI, but of the movies themselves? Because there's a lot of schlocky ways to do that and grab some cash and run. We don't do that, obviously. So that became my first job here, was thinking about programs that could open the door to movies and as one example, I worked with American Express and we created a program that was across the nation at 50 college campuses where we started word of, word of mouth screenings. And it wasn't for blockbuster movies. Our first movie, for example, was Robert Altman's Shortcuts. And it was encouraging college kids to go to the movies. And so that felt like within our DNA, it was within the, the sponsor's DNA. And all those kids then went out and told people of the world how great the movie was. So that's what I began doing. Uh, when the AFI launched its program to celebrate the 100 greatest movies of all time, it was a giant collaborative effort from the trustees on down. And I was part of the team of a very large team that helped put that together. And when it became a television show, uh, it was the first time that we counted down the 100 greatest movies of all time was on CBS. It was a three-hour television event. It was confidential. It was a big deal. And the producer of the show was Gary Smith. And he really welcomed me in to better understand, because I was kind of more of the, these are the movies that we're going to be honoring. And he taught me a lot. He and his partner, Dan Netter, taught me a lot about Okay, how do you how do you say this to a million millions and millions of people around the world via television? And that became my new addiction. So I not only helped with the thirteen hundred year specials that we did, uh, I also became the writer and producer of the AFI Life Achievement Award, starting way back when, and uh, and I continue to do that to this day. So the idea of moving into the television, what we now call, remember television, you know? Yeah. Um, it uh, It's about how to, how to spread our, and share our appreciation, our deep appreciation for what these artists and the work they create collaboratively, collaboratively as you said, Jesse, uh, with the rest of the world. That's one of the mandates of the AFI. Mm. Well, you became, your inner showman came uh, to the fore. And, and you are a great showman, Bob. Uh, the the Those specials were terrific. And Gary Smith did a wonderful job. Yeah. I, I was happy to participate in some of those. And uh, 
but the AFI Life Achievement Awards, uh, you've had different challenges year by year, depending on the recipient and how active the recipient still is and how many of the recipient's friends and colleagues are still ambulatory. Alive. The and, word you're looking for is right. alive. And yes. or, and yes. or coherent. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and one of the ones that stands out to me is the night you, you did for George Lucas. Uh, it, it is an absolute standout because George, who, who I've known, I mean, we're not buddies, but I've known him a long, long time. George is not a warm and fuzzy guy. I think even he would accede to that. Uh, Except when he's with his kids. I would just say yes. the softest I've ever seen him when he's talking about his kids, when he's with his kids. Yeah. That's when you see him smile like you never see him smile otherwise. Yeah. And But you had to de devise a way to make an entertaining and involving engaging show built around him and and you did it you did it would you would you like to tell how you did it well the power of these shows is always in the commitment of their friends to do they want to be there yeah. not that they have to be there are they right. selling a movie or you know they got to be on tv whatever do they want to be there? And in George's case, the answer was always yes. And it it's Leonard. It's also one of the shows close to my heart because that was my childhood. I, mm, of I course. stood in line waiting to see star Wars. You know, I was trans, you know, transported to the galaxy far, far away. I probably have never really left. And so in the center of the show, the beating heart of that show was a moment where we had Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher and Harrison Ford come out on stage and James Earl Jones narrated the uh, the idea that the Joseph uh, Campbell, uh, you know, theories, right? Mythology, so it was like yeah. the hero. And then in James Earl Jones' voice, which of course I wouldn't dare try to do, um, he described the hero. So he then said, and George Lucas gave us Luke Skywalker. And out came Mark Hamill. The this, and then the princess, and then and, uh, and out came Carrie Fisher. And it built into this tableau with C-3PO and R2-D2. And here's my favorite part, and it's a story I've never told. Chewbacca was there. And it was it was Peter Mayhew the original Chewbacca. Now, Harrison Ford is such a pro, he doesn't need to come to rehearsal. Harrison, you do this, you do this. And so he doesn't know who's in the Chewbacca outfit. During the show, ladies and gentlemen, Harrison Ford. So he comes out, the, the tableau is complete, the characters, everybody was there for George. And Harrison looks at Chewbacca, and realizes just in the eyes hmm. that it might be Peter. And he says, is that you, buddy? And Peter hugs him, and the two of them would not stop. It was just like this great moment that doesn't make air. You know, in other words, it's like that's a special thing, that the bond these people have, because they work together for so long, And hmm. but they came together for George. So... uh 
The only other story, if we have time for it, on the Lucas show that I loved was that we opened the show ah. with uh, by inviting William Shatner to uh, come out under the guise that he had been invited to a Star Trek convention. <laughs> Unforgettable. Unforgettable. And so when it was, ladies and gentlemen, William Shatner, that was the opening thing. The look on Spielberg, Harrison Ford, and George Lucas was like, they got this what? wrong. They got this wrong. And he came out, and, and when I called him, and to, this is totally to his credit, I called him in New York. I was nervous to make the pitch. And I said, and if, then we're going to do this, then we're going to do this, then we're going to do this. And then as people realize you're not supposed to be there, stormtroopers are going to come out. And they're gonna gonna haul you off, and you stop them, and you say, "I can do Star Wars." You, I, you, and it's all on YouTube. You can watch it. Um, and then he sings, "I did it my way" in tribute to George, and it ends with a line of stormtroopers kick line behind him. So it became totally psychotic. And the best part was that Shatner said yes on the phone. I love it. He just said, "You bet, I'm in." Now I later, he did a one man show on Broadway that was about taking risks. And he tells that story that he had no idea why he said yes, but you embrace what's uncomfortable at times and to create something special. And certainly he did. And George loved it, obviously. That's it was fantastic. unbelievable. Not, that was a, it was a great night altogether. But that opening, it, it, that's a tough act to follow. It was just, yeah. just inspired. But so many of them you see, I mean, Angela Lansbury's was so beautiful and, you know, you bring out different people. It's like, it's just, uh, it's a very special evening. And I think that people understand that and they get that it's about their friend uh, and that it's, it's, it's somehow though a massive event, private, you know, even though it's big and it's got so many people that attend, there's something about it that it just remains real for everyone. Well, it's, it's one of the hallmarks of what we do here is yeah. that we, one of our organizational mantras is that we do not believe that any of this is about competition. Right. We believe that it's about community. And so when we host an event, we're lucky that people understand that. Yeah. And so, for example, when we honored Mike Nichols, he not only had a star-studded field of people who wanted to be there to speak for him, you know, including Elaine May and Jack Nicholson and Harrison again, Nora Ephron, Meryl Streep, Simon and Garfunkel reunited to sing Mrs. Robinson, Julia Roberts, Tom Hanks, like those were the participants. But also in the room, Steven Spielberg, Oprah Winfrey, because it's a community of people that appreciate yeah. the work that this man has done. You can do it without winning or losing anything. Yeah. That's what the AFI is. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's yeah. funny, it's like the Oscar nominee luncheon just happened. And something that we talk about with that event a lot is that everyone is in such a good and happy mood because everyone in that moment, you're nominated for an Oscar. You bet. Yeah. There's no winning or losing that day. It's everyone is there because they've been, they're being honored 
in in our industry the highest possible you know that is a and, great event yeah and, and it's the same way that when you guys have your 10 best tv and 10 best film everybody just everybody just wants to see each other and talk and and for us it's uh we don't often get to see tv people because our bubble tends to be more film and and a lot of times those actors don't get to see each other so it's such it's such fun again that word it's fun because you're watching the cast of mad men meet you know this year's top 10 movies it's just it's i say very it's all very special i have have a funny story about that too you ready because you said mad men it reminded me at this event where we honored 10 outstanding motion pictures 10 television programs um there was a year and there's only really one speaker who raises a glass at the end as a toast to the community and one year that honor was provided to us by shirley mclean now shirley was there for the entire lunch she was great and before the event she said to me do you mind when i'm done can i just go out the side door and i said of course you can that'd be great so she knocks the room dead with her remarks standing ovation she steps off the stage and i escort her to the side door and up comes running john ham who was there with the cast of Mad Men, and it was elizabeth moss and christina Hendricks. they were all there like fangirling right john said shirley would you mind these are my friends they introduced i took a picture of them it was selfie time all this was on the side right and then when they left shirley said to me you know what I think we should go out the front door. Hey. I just thought, yes, because these people love you. That's what this event's about. Yeah. That's fantastic. Talk a little about the conservatory. Uh, thank you for bringing it up. The, cons- the AFI conservatory, is re- it's the beating heart of the AFI because it is about the future of this art form. And it is a two-year graduate program. It's an MFA program that not a lot of people understand is very intimate. It's only about 140 people in each class. So about 280 young men and women are out making movies. And outside of the fact that I'm contractually obligated to mention that this year, not once, but twice, AFI was named to the number one film school in the nation. I'm, a, I'm I have to say that. You do? Uh, the 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 unique nature of it is that it's and and by the way there are other great film schools there you know USC UCLA NYU there's so many great film schools but the reason ours is different is that almost eighty percent of the curriculum is production we make movies that's what we do and we can do that because we have <clears throat> small cadre of people and they make spectacular movies together. And what you learn by making these movies, by putting together very different people, um, is you learn how to work with people you don't like. Mm-hmm. Hello. You learn how to work with people you love. And then when you graduate, you kind of travel in packs. They don't let go. Yep. And that's really the key to the success. And so our our school is over 50 years old, but, uh, you know, the the first class was Terrence Malick and Caleb Deschanel and David Lynch and that generation. And the new 
group here is Patty Jenkins. Uh, Melina Mitsukas, who direct, she was a cinematography fellow here, but now directs almost all of Beyonce's music videos. And she's Queen really and Slim. Yeah, Queen and Slim. Yeah, no, she's a powerhouse. Rachel Morrison, the great cinematographer yep. for Black Panther. Yep. So the graduates are out working. And this year, our, our glasses raised to a gentleman from the class of 1992, Todd Field, who wrote, yep. produced, and directed Tar. And so we're what we say about all of our graduates, we take no credit, but we take great pride. And so we're proud of Todd and everybody out there working this year. It's say very special. It's uh, yet I think that it's probably one of the most common things that we hear from people who went to film school. Uh, we hear it all the time that they still work with the same people. Yeah. And this is true of Barry Jenkins. This is true of Ryan Coogler. This, you know, there's a whole heap of really talented people uh, who met each other in film school and have stayed close. Who was it? Uh, we had Caleb Deschanel on the show and he was talking about when he was at USC and he used to break in to edit. Uh, you know, they used to sneak in to use the equipment yeah, and stuff yeah. like that because they could. But I can't remember offhand the different people he was with. But it was like, but it's all people that he continues to work with to this day. You bet. And, you know, it's just this, when you click and you trust each other in that way and you get that shorthand, why would you work with anybody else? Yeah. Right. You know, uh, because as we know, being on a film set is uh, not easy. There's a lot going on. So if you know that you can rely on someone wholeheartedly, then then you do. Yeah. Well, and Darren Aronofsky came up here not long ago uh, to show one of his, always his great movies. And he looked down and he said, that's the chair. And I said, what? And he said, on opening day of AFI, that's where I met Maddie Levitique. Mm. And they worked together time and again, Maddie, the great cinematographer. So you're right. Like you, you, you form a bond that should not be broken. Yeah. Well, I think also when you're working on no budget, you yeah. know, that's the other part of it is you're working without money. You're working without craft services. You're working, you know, it's uh, uh, you're just making it happen because you love it. Yeah. Let me mention the AFI catalog because I just used it the other day online. And uh, uh, I have my still red bound copies, which I see on the, on the bookshelf behind you i still have them but i have uh, surrendered happily to the ability with a couple of keystrokes to acquire any information i need the, uh, the, the catalog was started decades ago to be the ultimate you know uh, reference guide to american film and it it, it had its ups and downs it went, went through a period of uh, uh keen activity on getting it done and then it went dormant for a little while, and then it got uh, rebooted, what one might call it. And, and it is a, a, a wonderful resource, just a wonderful resource, which you offer free of charge. We do. And uh, and it was great. but It is great. Yeah, the difference of the catalog, you're, thank you for that, Leonard. It means a lot coming from you, because that the it really is a a resource for people who really want to know more 
And, you know, there are just for people who don't know, the catalog began in 1968, pre-internet, not to remind, right. where it was like somebody said at the American Film Institute, we're going to document every American film ever made in a scholarly way. This was this is not an IMDb project, which, by the way, I use every day. I'm not mm -hmm. this is not about IMDb, but it's a thoughtful, learned program to say, here's what this movie means. And the value of it is really in a section called notes. So if you go to AFI.com and look at the catalog and go into your favorite movie and look at notes, first movie in the your favorite movie in the first hundred years of American film, I should say, Um uh, my best example was I was about to show my son 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, the Kirk Douglas. And I was, I watched it with him. I was, a, it was one of those movies where I was like, oh, wow, okay. Um, and there are long shots of people walking underwater in scuba gear and they go on for like eight minutes and you're just like, what? Okay. Mm -hmm. And so, I went to IMDb and kind of looked it up. And then I was like, what am I doing here? What did the catalog? And in the notes section, it described, and Leonard, you're an expert on Disney, you that Disney put all his chips on this. Like, I'm going to go into live action now. And then they created new technology to film underwater. And so they were dazzling audiences in that time period by saying, oh my God, look at this. And so the AFI catalog in the notes section provides you that historical context that you probably wouldn't learn anywhere else. So the uh, it's part of what we're very proud of. We're doing a lot of work on our archive, which is not only the catalog, but a lot of audio and visual materials that have never been seen before. And for throughout the history of film, people have come to the AFI to speak and that we're looking for a way to make universally available as well. That's great. That's great. And the, the, new, the new book that Janine Basinger and Sam Lawson have, have done, uh, The Oral History of Hollywood, uh, is all drawn, all derived from uh, seminars and uh, speeches and uh, colloquies uh, under the AFI's umbrella. And there's a lot of wonderful stuff there. It is really, uh, their book is wonderful. Yeah. As are they. Yes. Yes, indeed. That's we, we did. And you know, it's not easy because Janine doesn't do technology. We were able <laughs> to interview Janine. Uh, and she is, she is just magnificent. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know many people better than Janine. Yeah. Well, I, here's a sidelight. I don't know if it's, Jermaine or not, but I received uh, a press release in the olden days of snail mail from the AFI, where it announced that uh, uh, since uh, three members of your board of directors uh, or advisory board had termed out, uh, their new three people were being named, and one of them was Janine Basinger, who was teaching film at Wesleyan University in Connecticut. And I called her right away. And I was the first one to tell her that she had been named to the board. <laughs> and I had this image in my mind of very powerful people in, in Hollywood, in the, in the industry who were on your board. 
saying, oh, well, that sounds nice. A nice little old lady from Connecticut who'll come here and be very docile and uh, just, you know, rubber scent whatever we do. And boy, were they Not in for a surprise. Not life. Not. Oh, God. No, she is. Uh, she remains a powerful voice at our ta- at the board table, and a real gift to me. Not not only professionally but personally. She's oh incredible. yeah, yeah. Well, that's Dave. How old were you when you met? Sixteen. Yeah. Is that right? I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. She was the first one to give my mom her blessing when they were going to get married. Uh, Janine said, no, no, this, this is it. This you too, this is it. And that meant the world to my mom. Uh, that's and, great. And Leonard, yeah. you haven't, you haven't resented Janine for that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. No, it's, uh, it's, yeah, there are in our little world, there are some legends and Janine is definitely one of those legends as Janine first, uh, uh, Jean Furstenberg, you know, there are names that sort of just loom large. And yeah. it's uh, it's so important. That's why I, you do honor her really beautifully because you make sure that her name remains important and that people hear it. And that's really, I think, the best thing any of us can do. Yeah, you know. Now, all right, we're we're talking to you. Uh, it's coming up on on noon uh, on on a, on a Thursday. Uh, what would the rest of your day be taken up with? It's Friday, isn't it? It is Friday. Just checking. It is Friday at noon. It's Friday at noon. We're talking to you. What would the, the rest re- of your day consist of? The rest of my day, we're, see, uh, this goes back to the archive. This goes back to the AFI Conservatory. We're lucky today to be welcoming Baz Lerman and Catherine Martin to campus. Mm-hmm. Where they are going to be screening Elvis for the young men and women at the conservatory. And then they're going to be spending about 90 minutes with them afterwards in, again, these smaller groups uh, in a Q&A. We record those. They all go into the AFI archive. And this is a living, breathing, building archive that just continues to record the words and the wisdom of the great artists of our day. So I'll be welcoming Baz and Catherine to campus. um, And then I'm going to go home and enjoy time with my family that's that's the goal good how old is your daughter my daughter's 18 and is college happening soon college is happening she's uh lucky to be have been accepted to tulane university so amazing off she'll go in the fall and what does she want to do my wife will look at me and be like is that it um (laughs) the uh uh, I don't, she doesn't know what she wants to do. And we encourage that. Yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> open, open minds. Yeah. So, but I will say this. I do ask her not too often, but when, when the moment is right, what do you love? Yeah. Yeah. Because if we can all, question. if we can all get there, um, it's worth it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't I don't think there's any more important question. Yeah. And not everybody gets to do what they love for a living. No. And no. so those of us who do uh should and do, I think for the most part feel very fortunate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very true. Bob, thank you for sharing with us for the past hour. This has been a gift. I would do this every day if you wanted to. This is like <laughs> 
This has been a blast. Thank you for having me. And I'll look forward to see you in human form very soon. Now, I said it before and I will say it again. Nice. And sometimes nice is not the, you know, people who, I don't want to be nice, but that's the thing. Bob is kind and he's nice and he really cares about what he does. And he really cares about filmmakers, famous and not. I mean, that's the thing. It's not like the AFI only focuses on names. Uh, they really try to honor this industry and they do a beautiful job of that. Yeah. And he is also someone who, uh, if you didn't intuit this from, from his, his uh, answers to our questions, he, he's somebody who has to navigate the sometimes treacherous waters of ego because <laughs> he deals with, with very, very powerful, very important people who run movie studios and streaming services yeah. and television networks. And uh, and he remains that nice. That's remains, all I'm he saying. He that nice. And he, gets <laughs> jo- and he gets the job done. He does. He does a beautiful job. Yeah. Man, oh, man. Well, I hope if you did not know Bob's name, you do now. And you've learned a bit about uh, AFI, the American Film Institute, as well. It's such a fantastic resource. Um, I've said before, but, you know, a lot of people don't understand that many, many archives are open. Uh, there are a lot of places you can go and read and see different things. And it's uh, it's incredible to have that at your fingertips. Yep. We're lucky to have it here in LA. Yep. Ugh. And what so, else? What, yes. Can we tell our, <laughs> what else can we tell our friends as if they didn't as know? As if they didn't know. You are at Leonard Malton. I am at Jesse Malton on Twitter and Instagram. You are also on Facebook. You can join us for live streams on YouTube as well. Malton on movies. You can go to LeonardMalton.com for movie, re- movie reviews and book roundups and all kinds of good stuff. And we are on Patreon. We are on the Maltreon. Patreon is where you can help support what we do. If you like what we do. And we have different ways of saying thank you for that. And we appreciate it immensely. That's patreon.com slash Malton on movies. And thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week, folks. Today's episode of Malton on Movies is brought to you by Legion M, the world's first fan-owned entertainment company. If you love movies as much as we do, why not own a piece of them? Find out more at www.legionm.com.